You're listening to Supervision with a Vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about burnout. This week, we read Why Some Therapists Are So Tired, published in Psychology Today 2021. Heather, we tried to think through some of the reasons that we thought counselors experience burnout. I think it's something that counselors talk a lot about, but we don't really, it doesn't really seem like we understand it or that we have a great idea of what the solution is. I think we're also notorious for it happening and not being aware of it until you hit like a a big spot. Like we sometimes don't see it coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Heather, we named some things that we thought lead to burnout or maybe the cause, or like you said, maybe are the final straw where we really notice we're experiencing some burnout. And Heather, the way I just said that made me think that I think some people think, even counselors maybe think that burnout is a final point or irreversible or something that that's the final. Yeah. If you're burnt out, then you're all done being a therapist. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So is that how you think about burnout? No, not at all. I think about burnout very differently, like getting to the point I'm better now than I ever have been about recognizing that it's coming. Mm -hmm. But I think most seasoned therapists can say that that Mm -hmm. you start to recognize it a little bit better within yourself, but helping supervisees see the same thing. Like you're getting to this point where Maybe you're not, maybe you're going too fast. Maybe mm-hmm. you're in a spot where you're not thinking clinically deep enough or whatever. You're seeing some of the same behaviors. Yeah. I think the way you describe it and maybe the words that I have to put to that would be really similar to the idea of transactional analysis. Oh, uh-huh. That burnout is not something good or bad or something that you either are or aren't, but that it's a process and burnout is a form of rupture. Right. Just like transactional analysis. So recognizing it means recognizing, well, that's not necessarily good or bad, but it's, it means I should take action or I right. should do something different or I should. A shift needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So Heather, you and I said that one of the ways that counselors feel burnout is the idea of rinse, wash, and repeat. I've seen this a lot within myself, within my own practice. I've also seen it with my supervisees, especially right now. We've kind of been in this like crazy world, I think way over a year now, but For the last year of lockdown, pandemic, things like that, a lot of clients are dealing with their regular mental health stuff and then add in the mix of what weeks were locked down or who they got exposed to or Mm. quarantine. And Mm -hmm. it's time and time again. And it's the same Mm. story. And I think what happens as a therapist is you just get tired of hearing it. Yeah. Like I stopped being as empathetic because I'm like, that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think when you're saying that, I thought maybe we should have called this point Groundhog Day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bill Murray woke mm-hmm. up and, and every single day the same thing happened again. And he really got to a point where I think he'd done it so many times that he, you know, ran Could into the same it. person right. on the street and he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I know what you're going to say. Right. And he rushed through that part because he could anticipate, here we go again, same mm-hmm. thing. So you're saying both in our lives. Right. There's lack of variety in our lives right now, but also counselors can feel like there's lack of variety in what they're doing. Right. I almost see it like a whitewash. I don't know why that analogy came to me, like painting. I was actually thinking watercolors. 
Have you ever done watercolor where you do the crayon drawing first and then like you wash it over mm. with like black paint or white no, paint yeah. and then it like pops out of the color. So it's mm-hmm. an art technique. Mm-hmm. But um, I was thinking of that because it's like everyone's drawing their picture and then maybe we had this like black water, green water, whatever color you want to pick that kind of washed over all of our other stuff and you just get tired of looking at it through that lens. You just mm-hmm. get tired of that being part of what you're doing in therapy. Mm-hmm. I do feel like, well, what do you do about that when you feel like, okay, here we go again, same thing as yesterday, doing the same thing over and over. Something that I do, I, and I can't, it's been a handful of years now where I decided I don't want to see just one type of client all the time. Absolutely. So now I'm intentional yes. about taking on clients that have a variety of different presenting problems or backgrounds mm-hmm. or, you know, so there's variety in that. Right. I think just by the nature of our practices, we can see that we've done that for ourselves, but I encourage my supervisees to look at, okay, great. You've seen, you have three couples that are on your caseload right now. Be actively aware of maybe taking some individuals, maybe Mm -hmm. taking some teenagers, just something else to mix up what you're doing every Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. What about, do you think that counselors become supervisors as a way of doing that, of creating variety? I I think I did. Using their skills, but in a slightly different way. Right. It's a good turning point. I think I see more and more counselors doing that as a way of having more diverse income. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also benefit to our own mental right. health. Right. You know, what are things that you know of that counselors do that diversify where their income's coming from? But it just makes things more dynamic and interesting. Right. Being a supervisor. Being a supervisor. Uh, writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe being an adjunct yep. teacher mm-hmm. at, in a counseling program right. or an undergrad program that deals with like psychology or human development or right. something like that. Um, maybe some speaking opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just in different. Some know. kind of presentation. Mm-hmm. Maybe that makes me think of any kind of board or committee involvement. Right. right. Same values or same kind of people surrounding but you, but a different way of doing mm-hmm. it. What about, I've known people in private practice or at just in other settings that maybe take on a little bit of part-time work somewhere else Mm -hmm. just to maybe have the opportunity to do groups sometimes. Right. Just have perspective of what else is still current Mm -hmm. in a clinical setting versus a private practice. Yeah. Actually, my first job out of school was a really intense hospital setting. And I started feeling like I only knew kids that were suicidal. Right. You're like, this is all I know. Right. And it, well, it started to feel like all kids are suicidal. Right. right. Like all, every kid everywhere is suicidal. And I think I caught myself saying that mm-hmm. out loud, something mm-hmm. You're to like, that Wait effect. a minute. Right. That can't be true. And for fun, I started uh, coaching a little kid's swim team. Oh, fun. And I thought, okay, this is, oh, this, this feels is like balance, like right. some perspective and realizing that no, not all kids Right. Are self-harming or suicidal and I can hang out and have fun with kids mm-hmm. and it not feel that intense. Very good. Heather, our other point that we identified as a reason that some counselors experience burnout sometime is carrying a heavy load. Right. And I think this is twofold, as we talked about. I think part of it can just be that you have too many clients, like too many people that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. I think the other way we talked about it was you may not have too many of the same kind of client, but you have like really intense clients mm-hmm. um, that maybe are taking the same mental space from you, even though you're only seeing mm-hmm. 12, maybe they're 12 super intense clients. Yeah. What do you think happens to first counselors that have too many clients they see per week? I think it feels like you're running from one to the next. You have like the five, 10 minutes where you go right. to the bathroom, right. you refill your water, 
Mm-hmm. And then you jump back into it and maybe you, you're, you haven't given yourself enough mental space to reset or think about the next person right. or just right back into. I have a supervisee that I saw a few years back and she was at a place where she saw kids all day long and they, the program she was working for, they had a template almost to counseling. Mm-hmm. And so it was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the third session for this kid and this is what we address or whatever. Yeah. And she was saying she had gone, she had several kids at the same point in the process and she had gone to the bathroom, run, done that and came back in and sat down and she couldn't remember the client's name Uh-oh. and she couldn't remember. She's like, wait, are they on week four? Wait, week eight? They couldn't because she couldn't follow her template. And she had to like quickly look through things on her desk to figure out who she was seeing at this hour. And she really attributed it to there were too many of the same client mm-hmm. that she was seeing. And in a setting like that, it's all about those billable minutes. So it's like, how many can you get mm-hmm. in your day? How mm-hmm. many are you are getting mm-hmm. through? Something I notice when I'm doing that, if I feel like I've got too many clients, or maybe I haven't noticed yet, but I'm starting to have too many clients in a week or back to back, I can't be as creative. Oh yeah. Shuts down that process. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if I've got the right number of clients in a week, I have enough space and room to think, Ooh, I should get glitter for this kid. Mm -hmm. Or, Ooh, this kid would think these, this thing was really fun. I'm going to make sure it's in the, it's available or in the room. Or if I'm too overwhelmed with the number of people. Yeah. Go. And I don't know. No one ever says, hey, you're less creative lately, right. <laughs> but I can feel it. And I think mm-hmm. it makes a difference in sessions. I think so too. I think when you get kind of stifled by that process, then you're almost dreading your sessions coming up. What am I going to do next? Mm. What am I going to oh, do? I know you've said that before. Yeah. When you have so many on your caseload that when somebody cancels or gets sick, you're like, you think, oh, good. Right. Oh, no big deal. <laughs> That's definitely a sign of too many right? clients when you think, oh, yes. Someone canceled. Right. We also mentioned when you have a lot of intensity in your clients. Mm -hmm. So you might have probably really compounding the problem if you've got a ton and they're really intense, Mm -hmm. but that you could still feel this, uh, some version of burnout just by having a lot of really intense clients. Right. I've gotten pretty sensitive to it. I think as I've done therapy for more years and every once in a while I goof. And I schedule two or three clients in the same day that like just shouldn't be scheduled mm. in the same day because mm-hmm. they're either too alike or they're just too heavy to mm-hmm. all be in one spot. And so I think that's part of looking at it and going, okay, like those people yeah. cannot, no matter what, I cannot schedule certain groups together, like right. certain type of people together. Mm-hmm. Now that is definitely a luxury of being in private practice. That is definitely um, a luxury. <laughs> because I was thinking, what do you do if you have a supervisee or you yourself are working in a setting where that's what you do. Right. You see high acuity clients. Mm -hmm. You work in a substance abuse facility where people are detoxing. Right. People are, those are, those clients are always going to be intense. Right. Or can you think of another setting where you would just have, by the nature of the setting, a lot of intense clients? I think anytime you're in like a hospital rotation where you've got kids that are hospitalized because they're that Mm -hmm. severe, Mm -hmm. I think it can be very intense. Yeah. I was thinking, I know you've done work like this, dealing with grief. Oh, yeah. That for maybe some people or depending your own personal circumstances, seeing one grief client after another can be really, yeah, really exhausting. What would you say to a a supervisee in one of those settings? I talk a lot about self-care and Mm -hmm. a lot about figuring out, like you talked about earlier, how to break that up. If you're Mm -hmm. in a setting, especially in a grief setting that is taxing, it takes a lot out of you. Make sure that your self-care is on par. And it can just be tiny little self-care things like 
all the way home listening to your favorite album loud with the windows down. I don't care. And like, mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. like that that gives you a reset. But also looking at, you said when you worked with those kids that you thought everyone was suicidal, finding ways to counteract that. Mm-hmm. So not every child has experienced grief at this deep magnitude, getting out there and being with some other kids that just can play and just have fun and mm-hmm. do something different. Mm-hmm. I think it's sad that what ends up happening, I think, is in those intense settings, people don't last very long. No, you lose really good therapists. People are in and out pretty quickly. And I generally like those kind of settings. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's also too bad that it just kind of chews people up and spits them out. Right. Something you said made me think about how to manage that for ourselves. But what if we're doing the same things for the clients? That mm. maybe it's therapeutic, still useful, still reaching a goal that you have a lot of sessions where we're talking about the parent that you lost. Right. And also sometimes you have a session where you're just silly. Right. It's important mm-hmm. to break it up. So maybe changing the expectation for ourselves as counselors that we don't always have to be intense and in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And also that our clients don't always need have to be intense and in the trenches to still be doing good work. Right. I think often supervision, I'll bring if someone's stuck on a client, like they're stuck with what to do or how to work it through. So when's the last time you just kind of hung out with your client? Mm -hmm. You can still be very therapeutically appropriate Mm -hmm. by just asking a teenager, like, who's a teacher that on campus that you just adore? Or who's Mm -hmm. a teacher that you just can't stand? Getting just some context to their day can be really helpful. Yeah, that makes me think it's actually, I had a client a long time ago that I and I took this client to a consultation group I was a part of several times because I questioned that. Mm-hmm. But sh- this client had so much trauma experience that there were times in our sessions where she did do, I could mm-hmm. tell she shifted to, we were, it felt like hanging out. Right. But I also felt like you just told me you needed a break. Mm-hmm. That was just yeah. the way that you indicated mm-hmm. um, time's up. I mm-hmm. need to breathe. Yeah. And sometimes it was subtle and sometimes it wasn't so subtle, but she maybe would say, Oh, I think I need a drink, mm-hmm. which would be, okay, I'm going to, I'm checking out of that mental space for a right. little bit. I can't continue to stay in that intensity right. for that long. And so maybe that's okay to allow ourselves to do that and mm-hmm. to acknowledge and allow our clients right. and, to do that. And too. to help our supervisees learn that that's a good tool. That's mm-hmm. a good indication of where you're at in therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heather, our last point that we po- uh, thought of related to why counselors experience burnout our people, places, and things. I think that is so important to how you're doing. Very early on in COVID, I had a not so close friend, just kind of friend of a friend, mm-hmm. reach out and sent me a message. And she said, how are you, how are you doing? And I was like, well, that's interesting. Yep, yeah. I'm fine. And she went, no, 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 no. What I meant to say is like, how are you really doing? I am sure you're so tired of talking to people and of trying to be calm. Oh, that's interesting. And I was like, huh. Okay, like she's actually gets it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was unique that it was not necessarily someone in my immediate bubble. Like it was someone a little more on the outside of my normal group of people. And she really just it kind of crossed her mind that like, oh, I bet you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that I could answer her like truthfully where I was at in that moment for that week or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was nice to have that. So I think whatever's going on in your personal world affects 
how you are as a counselor. Right. So you could be in a really good place with your counseling, not too many clients, not too intense, a right, right. balance of the right type of clients. Mm-hmm. And you could still be experiencing burnout as a counselor because of what's going on at right. home. Right. You have too many things on your plate that are personal. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are fortunate and we don't experience this, but I'm imagining counselors in places where there's a lot of unrest. Right. And they could be really taking care of themselves. They could really be thoughtful about how they're managing their caseload mm-hmm. and clients and all those things. But just the mere fact that they live in a place that's... Right. Doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. I think that, that could be, affect them. Absolutely. I think everything that we do in our day-to-day lives can, whether you're taking care of yourself physically. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I need to have a place to burn off, I don't want to call it energy, but like exercise helps me reset. Mm-hmm. So like that's important to me. Yeah. And if I go too long without getting in what I would consider a decent workout, then I'm like, oh, I need that. Like mm-hmm. I need that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but I feel like that was one of the things that you considered when you got a puppy this year. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, do I need <laughs> right <laughs> another creature in my house right. to care for and take and feed <laughs> and and be attentive to? Right, and run around and make sure they potty in the right, right. place and yeah. right. And that's not counseling specific, no. but if you, I hear kids say this all, teenagers say this to me all the time, and I just. It, is so appropriate for a teenager to say that they'll, you know, the idea of, I don't have bandwidth for that. Oh, yes. I hear that often. I mean, I have mm-hmm. a teenager in my house, so I mm-hmm. probably hear it really mm-hmm. often. But I think that it is very true. And I will find myself, and this is probably deeper reflection than we have time for in this podcast, but I will find myself giving it all to my clients. But like, mm-hmm. if one more thing happens on like a personal level, yep, I'm all done. I don't have bandwidth for that. Nope, not mm-hmm. going to engage in that conversation. Mm-hmm. All done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember the maybe the last year of my doctoral program that everyone was tired mm-hmm. and stretched thin and right. we were getting close to the end of a term. And I don't know if a professor asked us or if we were just chatting with each other and someone said, what are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do when this term is over and it's, mm-hmm. everything's turned in and we're done and we're, we have a little break? And my answer was, oh, I'm going to mop the kitchen floor. <laughs> and and, silence? Uh, <laughs> no, actually, they really recognize it. They right. totally got it. Mm-hmm. But we all went, this is a sad state. <laughs> when that's the thing that right. we're like, oh, I wish I had just a little more room mm-hmm. and I would mop the kitchen floor. Mm-hmm. And I went, it just, the kitchen floor feels gross right now. Mud right. tracked in right. and like, it's just been too long and I just cannot wait to mop mm-hmm. the kitchen floor. But certainly a sign, and I knew it already, but right. a sign of, man, I was feeling burnt out. Right. So I like this idea that that we're talking about today. Burnout is not a place it's a process. Right. It's not finality. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean throw in the towel and quit being a counselor. It means all of us have to, this is something we all attend to and maintain and right. look at. And It's like the red light that comes on in your car. Oh, something needs attention. Mm-hmm. Well, can we say yellow? Maybe not yellow. the red light. Not red. Right. Red, red is, oh my goodness, pull over. <laughs> right. But may, maybe like, like a yellow means, right. okay, start looking for a gas station right. sometime in the next couple of minutes. Start doing something about this. And therefore preventing people from leaving the profession or making mistakes Mm -hmm. and things like that. Well, thanks today for listening to Supervision with a Vision. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. 
We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision. 